Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the sit down live here on the built in Buffalo network. We are brought to you by Duff's famous wings and built in Buffalo. Who's also sponsored by ticket IQ West her and Picasso's pizza. And we also are brought to you by underdog fantasy uh, code BIB. If you deposit at least $10, you'll have a deposit match up to $100. Uh, so go log on to Underdog Fantasy, one of the best daily fantasy apps out there. And how you doing, Bills Mafia? Our guy, Sauce Gone, a little under the weather today. So I'm going to fill in for him. We've got a great guest for you. I'll bring him in right after this. <music> If you haven't done so already please hit the like and share and uh support us on our new youtube channel um rebuilding that channel so really appreciate it head over to our facebook page get our uh, merch link there and uh all that fun stuff and check out the built-in buffalo website got a lot of great blog writers out there and uh, check them out without further ado i'm gonna bring in my guest tonight john brockley the third sir how we doing Mafia Montez, great to be with you, my friend. Let's get rolling. I'm ready for prime time. That a babe. All right, so we're gonna stay with a few segments here that we normally do, and we've done throughout the uh, season, and we're gonna carry that into the off season because it still pertains. And that's uh, bada bing, bada boom. So, John, I'll give you this one first. What's the good things you've seen in uh, the NFL sports or for, from the Bills uh, this week? Well, I'm just going to stick to uh, the sports world in general. I got three things that I like going on this week. Number one, I like that, uh, you know, a lot of talk about officials being held accountable uh, in, in all sports this week, especially the NFL and the NBA. Uh, a lot of talk about maybe some reform with some of the, the replay system in the NBA. Uh, some missed calls, a lot of missed calls in, in the championship games last weekend in the NFL. Uh, a lot of talk about what maybe can be done going forward and continuing to improve that. So I, I like that we're, we're, we're trying to progress here and, and maybe start uh, getting some more calls right, especially in big games. Uh, yeah, with the basketball thing, you know, even today with the volunteers against Auburn, um, a lot of controversy at the end of that game, there was a three-point shot, and it looked like the defender didn't let the guy land, and they called uh, the same foul on Auburn earlier when they didn't let the Tennessee three-point shooter land, and uh, that was a – a big no call. So I, I definitely agree. It's good to 
start those conversations. What was number two for you? Number two, bye-bye Brady. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, congratulations on the great career for the guy, but, you know, enough's enough. We've been dealing with it for 23 years, 27 years. If you, if you think about him going back to college, playing at Michigan, um, you know, I, I was – I'm glad that he's, he's finally – done we can kind of move on with our lives there uh you know for those that don't know you can't necessarily tell i'm wearing a uh primetime deon sanders 49ers jersey i'm actually a 49ers fan and a lot of the talk with brady this week was comparing him to joe montana and and whether you know brady was actually is actually the greatest of all time or whether montana is uh especially when comparing their appearances in the super bowls i said joe montana so who is better well, of course, I'm going to say Montana. You know, it, it's it's so hard. It's so hard to say. It's like the Jordan-LeBron uh, comparison, you know, where uh, Michael Jordan, they say, well, he's 6-0 in, in finals, and LeBron James is 4-6, and but he's been to 10. Well, you know, Tom Brady uh, lost three Super Bowls. Joe Montana never lost a Super Bowl, but Brady went to 10. Montana only went to four. Uh, but, but Montana never had a turnover in a Super Bowl either. So, you know, I, you, you – I'm always going to be be biased towards Joe Montana, but it, it probably is Tom Brady number one. Yeah, I'm going to go on both sides of that with the historical guys, Montana and Jordan. Uh, but that's probably a discussion for another time. Yeah, you tell him. Uh, Gage knows what's up here. Jordan's better. He knows. So, um, all right. And do you have a, a third one for us? Did you get all three in yet, or do you still have one more? I do have one more. Just a quick one. Um, going over with the ladies. You know, I, I really enjoyed – uh, the WNBA getting some spotlight this week and some big movement there with uh, Brianna oh, Stewart. Yeah. yeah, Brianna Stewart coming to the New York Liberty. Uh, Candace Parker uh, leaving the Chicago Sky for the Las Vegas Aces. I thought that was really, really uh, nice that they were getting some great uh, national coverage and that they're they're getting a little bit higher contracts. And, you know, there's not that many teams in the WNBA. There used to be. Um, they tried when it first started. They tried to have one WNBA team for every NBA city. That just wasn't feasible, uh, you know, monetarily. So uh, they they're trying to start maybe building some super teams, and I think that's what you need in the WNBA to maybe draw some more interest. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Hear that news. Brianna Stewart obviously um, played uh, her high school ball right in Syracuse area, and uh, so been following her career. Um, she did obviously shun Syracuse University to go to UConn and, uh, and then go on to uh, so far have having a great career. So yeah, great to see uh, Rihanna come home to New York and uh, be with the Liberty kind of, um, you know, her home state team. And I look forward to now watching some more uh, Liberty games. So um, cousin Eddie here, Gage wants to know if there's 24 WNBA teams. I'm not really sure, but I think there's only 12 now. Okay, so there you go. Um, so the good things that I saw this week, um, as I was cooped up in a juice plant all week uh, uh, at a Welch's factory, but uh, I really liked. Um, let's see, I really liked that the All Star games this week uh, for hockey and um, the NFL Pro Bowl. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, are doing a little bit, you know, the Pro Bowl for the NFL specifically is going to give you a lot more skills challenges now. And, and then they're going to have the flag football game tomorrow, I believe, and whatnot. And right. it's cool. You're seeing, uh, you know, Jordan Poyer for the, obviously the Bills Pro Bowl or 
Um, and one of the guys that actually deserved it because the Bills had a lot of pro bowlers there that aren't necessarily um, my first choice on the team for that position, let alone um, for the league. So a guy like Roger Saffold we're talking about, right? So, uh, but, but good to see these guys uh, getting loose, enjoying, um, you know, each other's company, you see kind of the brotherhood that, that these guys have. And then in the NHL, the same, um, they had the hardest shot uh, competition last night and, um, Rasmus Dahlin from the Sabres got second in that with like 102.3 and the winner was at like 103.2. So, so really cool. I, I just enjoy watching, you know, athletes be freak athletes and do, um, they had, I saw, uh, Justin Jefferson got a ball thrown to him off the Eiffel tower there and caught it. And then just the way these guys come up with the creative things and, um, and get through some of these skills competitions. I think that's just really cool. It's really fun to see a lot of these guys, um, you know, having fun with their gifts that and their talents that they have and kind of clue us in on a little extra and, and whatnot. So. Yeah. And to go along with that, Pat Sertan, the second uh, <laughs> caught of uh, the Denver Broncos caught a ball while riding a zip line, caught a pass from Matt Leinart. Uh, uh, actually, I've been on that zip line in Las Vegas. It's pretty cool. That's nice. Yeah, it, it goes kind of right down the streets. It's quite long. You lay on your stomach. It, it was very cool. He actually had to do it twice. I wondered how many times he was going to have to do it in a row if Leonard couldn't complete the pass. Right. Um, and, and and to go with the Bills, um, they, they had a lot of fun with the water balloons, the water balloon toss. Uh, and some of the offensive linemen were playing together. I believe it was Saffold and uh, Deion Dawkins. Deion Dawkins took a water balloon right to the face. So, oh man, yeah, you know, was, they, they definitely were having a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. And the last thing I'm going to say is that I did receive my DeMar Hamlin jersey in the mail. So, really pumped. I've been wearing it all day, uh, but I was getting a little bit hot. So, I just go to my uh, trusted VIB merch, which you can find at our merch shop in our Facebook profile uh, for the link to that. So that was the good, the bada bing, bada boom for this week. And next we want to talk about some things that maybe weren't uh, so glorious or, or so uh, good to see. And that's the forget about it um, segment here. And I hope I don't steal yours, but I just, it's something we talked about earlier and, you know, arguments in the, uh, in the NBA and things are, uh, are happening at a greater rate and um and you'll expound upon that uh after it looks like based upon your reaction to me saying that so uh the one thing uh that we kind of talked about last week too is the lack of uh defensemen in the nhl all-star game so uh with that happening um this weekend just kind of reiterating like you know there's no way erasmus Dahlin isn't an all-star um he's the second best uh and going to compete for being the best overall defenseman in the league. And, um, you know, with the NHL being such an offensive league, I guess they uh, are partial to who has the most points uh, as a defenseman rather than who can uh, play the best two-way games. And we're going to kind of get into that when you talk about a position, right? We're going to talk about how you can rate a certain position and, you know, what they can do at all facets of the game. So what do you have for, for our forget about it segment here? Well, I'll start with the one that uh, you just mentioned. I was, what's going on in the NBA? Uh, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, fighting, a lot of brawls. Had brawls each of the last two nights. Last night between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Orlando Magic. The night before, we had a, a fight between the Cleveland Cavaliers, Donovan Mitchell, and um, um, the Memphis Grizzlies with Dylan Brooks, who, in my opinion, is a dirty player. He was a dirty player when he was in college at Oregon. Uh, he he 
had a dirty play last year in the playoffs against the Warriors, pushing Gary Payton a second in the back uh, while he was in midair uh, and, and really hurt him, uh, injured him. And, you know, I, I think that what's going on all of a sudden in the NBA, we, we've gotten past this. There used to be a lot more fights back in the day in the NBA. We got past this and we're getting close to the all-star break. Maybe guys are looking for a little bit of a break and, and they're, they're just getting a little antsy maybe. I don't know, but but they need to knock it off and, and show a little bit more professionalism. Uh, number two, uh, to talk about what I kind of the opposite of what I started with in, in the first part about how I'm glad that officials in the sports are being held accountable. It's that they have to be held accountable and all the missed calls. I don't understand what's going on. We had a, we had a play at the end of a Pelicans Pacers game the other night where the player for the Pelicans was was called out of bounds on a steal at the end of the game with six seconds left, but they had successfully used successfully, let me stress that, successfully used their one challenge earlier in the game and were not awarded a second challenge. That's not the rule in the NBA. And they ended up losing three seconds on the clock and should have had the ball and had a chance to win the game. And instead, yeah. that's not what happened. And the, the the deterioration of officiating in these leagues lately has just really hurt the, the product on the court and on the field, in my opinion. And lastly – then lastly, to stick with the NBA, um, the, the things that I don't like this week, Kyrie Irving, man. I'm done with this guy. I am so done with this guy. It seems like every time something's going well, he has to, you know, butt his nose in there. And now he's demanding a trade again from the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, it, it, this guy's got to be the worst teammate in the history of sports. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I'm not a huge fan, but, uh, you know, to each their own, so – that's your forget about it segment. I don't like to spend too much time there because uh, I'm a positive guy. I live on the positivity. So uh, don't need your negativity bringing me down, sir. <laughs> We're going to go on now and talk about the game coming up next Sunday against the Chiefs and Eagles. So both one seeds heading through uh, the playoffs right into the Super Bowl. And uh, just get a little bit of your take on the matchup there. Um, the two quarterbacks and how, how you see uh, Mahomes' uh, mobility this uh, this coming uh, week and uh, if you think that'll affect uh, the overall game uh, between Hurts and, and Mahomes there. Yeah, I think the time off is going to be good for both teams. The Chiefs lost a lot of players in that AFC Championship game, especially a wide receiver. Kadarius yeah. Tony went down again. What else is new? Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster went down in that game. Uh, McCole Hardman went down, though. Andy Reid said sounds like he's not going to be ready for the game. Um, but sounds like the other guys are Mahomes, obviously with the ankle issue, Jalen hurts has got a shoulder issue. Uh, so I, I think the rest is going to be good for both teams. I expect a high scoring game. Uh, I expect, uh, both teams to be able to move the ball up and down the field. And I think it'll come down to maybe, uh, one or two bad penalties or, or turnover as it often does in the NFL. Yeah. We got Joseph Pratt coming in here and somebody actually agrees with you in this world. So just so you know, I wanted to point that out to you and, give you props for that one. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like that. I think that, um, you know, this was kind of the argument for the bills going into the playoffs with trying to get, get that week off to kind of get straight and, and be able to, to get, um, everyone fully healthy and just healed, um, mentally, physically and all that. And uh, obviously just didn't play out that way. And, and now we're at the point where it's chiefs and Eagles and it's not really a, uh, worth talking about uh, what could have happened, but um, just, you know, I, I get, I totally get that. The week off is, is super imperative to these guys because uh, you know, they can, 
do things with like the cryogenics and things like that, that just let them heal super quick. And it's kind of interesting, the science behind the different uh, guys working behind the scenes and really being able to bring these players back up to speed and you give them an extra week to do that. And then, you know, now they're going to come into this game, you know, feeling like superheroes, basically like they can do anything probably with that extra week off. So, yeah, um, uh, really glad to see, um, you know, the Eagles, I, I kind of, had of, you know, with Donovan McNabb coming from Syracuse and my rooting for them, you know, I paid attention to Eagles more uh, than most other teams uh, outside of the Bills. So, um, you know, cool that uh, Jalen Hurts has a great story going in there and, uh, you know, kind of just fighting for everything he's ever had to, to earn. And, um, you know, we know the the whole thing at Alabama, right, and Tua coming in yeah. and, and that. And so he's he's definitely had to earn his way. He had to transfer and and then prove another, you know, at another school and then come into the NFL and prove it there. And he has, and it's just kind of cool. Like I say, if when you generally appreciation to, um, to these athletes that kind of go through and just never give up, keep working. And then they, you know, they make a name for themselves. So that's a, that's a really cool story for me. And then you have um, the Kelsey brothers, right? So they're, uh, they're playing and I, and I don't know if this is the first set of brothers that have faced each other, right? Yeah, that, it is. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know if the Barber brothers never played with or against each other. Um, I don't know why I thought that, but uh, so yeah, first set of brothers to play against each other in the Super Bowl, which is really cool. Um, I know Jess said, uh, my wife said that someone uh, mentioned the Kelsey's mom should be there as the guest for the coin flip that's there. Awesome, yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of funny and. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to talk about um, on the Super Bowl. I think it's, uh, you know, it's next week and, um, you know, a lot of people out there. Uh, I like this comment. Roy's coming in saying, you know, rooting for the Eagles for the simple fact that, you know, we're not rooting for KC anymore. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough to uh, it's tough to really root for uh, KC at all. Uh, even I'm sure, that, you know, that they have guys on there. Pat Mahomes isn't a bad guy, but uh, it's just. I'm, you know, kind of the, the attention, especially like Collins, you know, Chris Collinsworth kind of dick riding Mahomes a lot. And I think that it's just kind of ridiculous. So I was going to say, you're asking the wrong guy to, to, to root. Uh, yeah. You're not going to, uh, root for the Eagles, <laughs> you're talking so. to the guy who's, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a 49ers fan. We, we lost hard to the Eagles, but you know, that game was, that game was a train wreck from the beginning. As soon as Brock Purdy went out three plays in, yep. you down to Josh Johnson, the quarterback that he goes out, you had to put Purdy, Back in the game, injured, literally couldn't physically throw the ball. Tor turns out he's got a torn UCL, man, end up needing Tommy John surgery. It was just a train wreck. So, that, you know, I, I, you know, for all I care, I, I don't really care who wins the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of brings us into the next segment, though, of outside of the Eagles. Um, and, and with, uh, I know there's been injuries, so it's kind of interesting, the landscape of the NFC right now. And I wanted to get your opinion on it just um, you know, this is a Bills podcast and all that, but um, being towards the offseason here and things, I want to talk about a little bit um, because these are teams we could potentially play in the Super Bowl next year if the Bills were to uh, to make it that far. And they're, you know, in the top five of being favored again next year for their very early odds. And I assume, um, you know, having Josh Allen means they always have kind of a shot to to go go there and it's just kind of some things that need to, to happen to get them over the hump. So uh, that's why I kind of wanted to get into a little bit of uh, your take on the NFC and, and how 
outside of the Eagles, each, um, you know, you have the NFC South there. It's just really struggling this year, at least. And, uh, you know, what what is kind of the outlook there? Um, you kind of had a turnover in the North where the Vikings won the uh, division there, but the Lions kind of were scrappy at the end. So um, the NFC West was uh, crowded as well, I believe. Uh, the Rams kind of fell down hard. And then, um, you know, the other three teams – uh, or no, Arizona, I guess, was was way out of it too. But, you know, they have uh, Kyler there. So how how well does he make that NFC West competitive next year? And then Seahawks kind of respectable with a little re, uh, revitalization of Geno Smith's career, right? So uh, right. I probably said way more than I needed to on that, but just kind of setting you up. And and how does that NFC landscape really look for, uh, from from your perspective? Well, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, you talk about – all the young quarterbacks in the NFL, and most of them are in the AFC. You talk about Allen, you talk about Mahomes, you talk about Burrow, you talk about all, a lot of these guys, and you wonder what's going on. Okay, well, Tom Brady just retired. He was in the NFC. We don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Is he going to end up – there's a lot of speculation. He may end up with the Jets because Nathaniel Hackett now is the offensive coordinator with the Jets, and he used to be his guy in Green Bay. Um, the, the NFC is very, very interesting. Even the 49ers, you know, they're going into next year with questions at quarterback. Trey Lance has barely played. He, he got injured in the second game of the year this year. Now Brock Purdy's injured going in after he went 7-0 and to start his career. So you don't know where the 49ers even sit with a quarterback. The, the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> they're America's team. Yeah, they're America's team that never wins. Uh, you know, they haven't even been to a championship game in 27 years. They haven't even been mm-hmm. to a championship game. Not, not, a, not a Super Bowl, a conference championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, you mentioned them. Uh, everybody kind of thought they were a fraud all year, and as soon as they got to the playoffs, they kind of proved it. They they won a lot of close games. They they didn't have a, a great point differential on the year. Um, you know, so the NFC is very wide open. There's there's other questions. You mentioned Arizona. Kyler Murray got hurt. He may not be ready for the start of the season. Um, they just fired their coach, Cliff Kingsbury. They they've got uh, some work to do there. They got a new GM in there as well. So there's there's a lot of upheaval in the NFC. The AFC definitely has more. Um, stability at the quarterback position and there's a lot of injuries and a lot of questions and a lot of turnover in the coaching and quarterback ranks in the nfc Uh, it definitely is wide open the eagles could um really run away with this for several years um but you got to figure at some point somebody's gonna step up it'll be it'll be interesting to see where Derek carr ends up Uh, he'll be leaving the raiders maybe he ends up in like washington we'll see if the giants could keep their guys like daniel jones and saquon barkley some of their defensive guys like dexter lawrence so there's definitely uh some room in the nfc for somebody to make a move i'd be remiss if i couldn't mention the carolina panthers and frank reich being the bills former backup quarterback and um so he brings an interesting dynamic and i don't know what they're going to do between baker and uh sam is it Sam Darnold there? Or who right. Yeah. Is I and so um, I don't know if they're on you know rostered for next year or not. But uh, you know I guess it's kind of interesting to see um, you know Carolina and then some of these teams are going to get to draft a quarterback this year, right? And um, you have Atlanta down there where uh, Ritter's going to is it uh, is Ritter down there, right? So right, then, yeah, doesn't Ritter. Um, yeah. The other guy is uh, Matt Corral, right? Who was drafted this year but got hurt. He so was, he's in Carolina. Yeah. He's in Carolina. He's in Carolina. Okay. So, yeah. so they did. So that's, so um, that's where I wanted to go with that is. So uh, I have him on my dynasty team and I had to stash him away on the, on the IR. So uh, yeah. So it's just interesting to see um, the NFC being so wide open. You kind of have that one clear favorite. You kind of had the giants even making a little bit of a leap um, this year from really 
obscurity to now, you know, being what you would think is a formidable contender if Daniel Jones can sustain, um, you know, his play and then they can re-sign some guys with like Saquon and, and things. And uh, from the Buffalo standpoint, you obviously root for a guy like Brian Dable, right? And uh, right. Um, I don't know how many years that's going to go on. I kind of still feel like I'd uh, maybe pull for him here and there, but uh, I definitely felt stronger about it. Um, this season being the first season removed from Buffalo. And then I think it's going to probably fade into just like, yeah, he was our guy for a little bit and now, uh, now he's not. So. Um, oh, yeah, I was going to say Dable with, with Daniel Jones. He, <laughs> Dable works some magic with Daniel Jones this year. You just wonder what Daniel Jones's ceiling is. You wonder how far he can actually, uh, you know, improve even upon what he did this year. Uh, but the giants are probably going to have to pay him to find out and probably more than they want to pay him. For sure. Yeah. Good points. So uh, getting staying in the NFC just for another moment here before we turn it over to exclusive Bills content and some other topics, I just wanted to get your reaction to this is one of the things we were talking about the trade deadline is the Bills really could have used a guy like Christian McCaffrey and um, to make a big splash in the midseason trade deadline. And I don't know, did you expect to – to be a player in that game? And did you really, I mean, did you think that, yeah, we're going to go make a big splash move like this uh, mid season? How did you see that play out? I did not expect it. I, to be completely honest, I hated the trade when it happened because the 49ers have already given up so many draft picks in the Trey Lance deal the prior year that we were giving up even more draft picks uh, for a position that I felt was already a strength on the team with Elijah Mitchell. Of course, he seems to be perennially hurt. He got hurt three different times this year. Didn't even play in the playoff game because he got hurt in the in the uh, or he didn't play in the championship game because he got hurt in the uh, previous playoff game against Dallas. So um, I, I did not expect it. He it would have been interesting to see what McCaffrey would have done in Buffalo. Um, I, I think you know it, it would have been interesting in their system because he's he definitely is a great receiver out of the backfield. Um, and he's one of those guys that he, he doesn't look big, but he, he is actually a good runner in between the tackles. He yeah, proved that with the 49ers. And I think the big question with him, with McCaffrey, is always whether he's going to stay healthy. And he did have a little bit uh, of, a, of a calf issue towards the second half of the season with the 49ers, but he did not miss a game, and he played a full complement of snaps every game. Yeah, really cool. I mean, you know, I, I think it's a fun team out there in San Francisco with Devo and Ayuk and those kind of guys. Um, you know, obviously – they are good enough to get to the championship game. And if it weren't for a series of unfortunate events, um, you know, you, you may have been competing for this, you know, more of a game against the Eagles to, to compete for the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I think that it's, it was uh, difficult to see that, especially the way the bills went out. It's kind of, you know, once the bills went out, I kind of shift my focus to, to hoping that, you know, the Niners would make it interesting. And then they went out the, uh, you know, <laughs> similar lopsided way, not some, you know, I, you know, not the same things happen, but obviously, yeah, you know, the bills got, got rolled and handled pretty well. And then after the Niners, uh, you know, had their issues, they, they didn't have much of a chance with uh, wide receiver playing quarterback, right. Who was playing quarterback 17, right? Yeah. Josh Johnson, the, the well-traveled, the guy's been on 14 different teams. Okay. Yeah. Oh. At one point they were, they were going to run wildcat with Debo and uh, McCaffrey at quarterback. So. Yeah, a guy was out selling hot dogs in the stands, and they kind of just tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, come on in, and we got to get you here playing some quarterback for us. So, uh, yeah, really, really uh, 
kind of strange the way the the whole playoffs played out and up to now and now now it's the the Super Bowl so um we're going to move on from this season and kind of move into what we want to see um from next season and one of the cool things um I I wanted to check out with with John is the tight end position this year with we obviously have um some cap things that we're dealing with and we'll get to that in the next couple segments here but um you know Dawson Knox did get paid and um you know from the cap hit standpoint um he is going to have a pretty substantial cap hit with that deal he has so I'm just wondering you know what we're we're going to start here I believe at at one I think I want to start and um you know go down to 10 and see what our ranking for for tight ends is so I think at number one if I may is going to be fairly easy and I'm doing this on purpose is Travis Kelsey I'm going to go first so who do you have as the number one tight end going into next year Wow, you, you really shocked me with that. And I, I, I got to say that my number one is, yeah, it's Travis Kelsey. Yeah, it's, there's no Absolutely. argument there. All right, so now this is where it gets fun. Uh, I took for number two um, – actually, no, I want to I go to you. So number two, who do you got? Well, I <laughs> again, we're playing with a little bit of bias, but, I, I you know, he, did, he has made the Pro Bowl several years in a row. I'm going to go with my, with my guy, George Kittle. Um, you know, some of his receiving numbers weren't necessarily there this year. He does, he is injury prone a little bit. He has missed a few games, uh, every season, but he is probably, if not the number one, he's one of the num- top two blocking tight ends in all of football as well. So you got to take that into account as well. Um, I, I, I don't think that anybody would have him necessarily outside the top three and I've got him at number two. Yeah. I kind of just yelled at the NHL for doing this in the all-star game to Rasmus Dahlin, but I, uh, also just took the better offensive numbers and went with Darren or uh, I'm sorry, Mark Andrews, uh, Mark Andrews for Baltimore Ravens, obviously uh, phenomenal tight end. Uh, he had the start of his season this year was absolutely ridiculous. I think he posted some crazy numbers at the first four or five games, I believe it was. And uh, just, just a fantastic talent there in Baltimore. So for three, um, I do have Kittle at three, obviously, like you said, he is the top, uh, dog when it comes to kind of the things without the ball that he does. And, um, you know, I think that um, he's definitely underappreciated. And I, I just have him at, at three because I thought that uh, Andrew has just had showed a little bit more offensively, even though um, Kittle did have the 11 touchdowns, which was second best, I believe, in the in the league right. this year. So, um, you know, but just from a consistency standpoint, Mark Andrews is kind of always there, it seems like. Um, and uh, Kittle, I have been left frustrated with him on my fantasy team more than <laughs> one time. And so for that, he gets knocked down to three for me. And my number three, we just switched there. My number three is Mark Andrews. Uh, and, you know, I know this is something we both agree with, that you can't just look at a guy's numbers because you, you have to take into account the fact that, you know, he didn't have Lamar Jackson for the last, what, six games of the season. So uh, Tyler Huntley didn't exactly lay it up, only threw two touchdowns the entire time that he was in there. So, yeah, we have the same top three, not necessarily in the exact same order, but I've got Mark Andrews at the Ravens number three. Right on. And then uh, four, we'll let you go first on this one. So my, my four or five, I really had a, a little kind of a back and forth with, but my number four, I went with Dallas Goddard or the Eagles. Uh, again, he, he's a really good blocking tight end. Obviously, he's a great receiver. Uh, he had some injuries, missed uh, nearly half the season this year, but always puts up numbers consistently. And and especially for the offense that they run, um, you know, they, they run a lot of deep routes with Devontae Smith 
and uh, AJ Brown's kind of a middle of the field guy. So, so Goddard is is always kind of a safety valve for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I think I kind of biased against him a little bit with the system that he's in. So, um, I think that uh, uh, there's a good question for Roy. I, I like to stop once in a while and just read some of these things live because this is kind of uh, interesting. Kelsey better than, better than Gronk in his prime. What do you think about that? I'm going to say yes, because I think uh, you, you could say that Travis Kelsey's doing it because he has Patrick Mahomes, but he also did it when he had Alex Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. He was still put up, obviously not to this extent. He wasn't putting up the numbers, uh, right. but the offense wasn't the same kind of offense either. It wasn't as, as pass happy as, as it is now. I'm going to say yes. I think when when all is said and done, Travis Kelsey's going to be looked at – First of all, he's going to have a, a longer career than Gronkowski. Yeah, he's longer, yeah. Yeah, so I think he's going to be looked at uh, ahead of Gronkowski in the long term. Right on. Yeah, I would agree. I think Kelsey just can do um, – has just done it longer, and he's – you know, availability is a better – is the best ability, in my opinion. So uh, my four, I went with Darren Waller from, from the Raiders. I really like this guy. I think it was uh, a shame that he had to kind of get stuck with the Raiders, and um, I'm just not sure – uh, you know, what they're doing there. Um, so just wasn't a good situation for him, but I, I think as a tight end, he's up there uh, and deserves to be in the top five for me. So on to number five, I put uh, TJ Hawkinson there um, at five. For me, I just think that he is another guy where he was in an organization where they weren't really going anywhere. They didn't seem to to necessarily feature him every game consistently. Like, Kelsey is, you know, and, and that's the one thing I really think I appreciate more about Kelsey is that he's really their top dog. I mean, he's got better receiving numbers than a lot of receivers do. And then at the other end of it, um, you know, they've actually pared down their receiving core in KC and still had success with that offense because for whatever reason, nobody decides to cover Travis Kelsey. And it's just crazy. I mean, I just don't understand it, but I guess he's just that good where he's, uh, you know, able to avoid coverages. So, so at five, I had Hawkinson. So who do you have at your five? Uh, I also have a, a TJ Hawkinson at number five. A lot of the same things you just said, you know, he, he put up some big games when he was in Detroit. Uh, that was probably the most shocking trade of the, of the in season trades this year was that Detroit traded him and now they trade him, but to a division opponent uh, in Minnesota uh, and he just tore it up when he got to Minnesota. Uh, and just to, to pick, um, pick off what you said there on Kelsey, uh, yeah, I, I think part of the reason that he's always open is because of the offense that they run. He runs a lot of option routes. Him and Mahomes are, are, are just on such great uh, communication that Mahomes seems to know if he takes a step one way, he's going to pivot back the other way. It's just a, a lot of options like, well, if the defender's playing me this way, I'm going to go towards the middle. If not, I'm going to stop and come back. Uh, so I, I think that's where, where where Kelsey has an advantage. He's definitely more athletic than Gronk, too. By the way, I want to I want to add that in there. But yeah, number five, TJ Hawkinson, um, just just continued to put up big numbers game after game when he came over to Minnesota. Yeah, and then uh, six. I think it's your turn to start here. Yep, and uh, go with the guy you already mentioned. I've got Darren Waller. The Raiders missed a lot of time this year, but again, when he's when he's in there and he's healthy, he tends to put up big numbers. Not a big touchdown scorer in his career, so that's maybe why I have him down a little bit. Um, and he, and he's not considered a, as great a blocker either. Um, but yeah, he's he's definitely a great athlete out there and and worthy of being on this list. Right on. 
All right. And uh, my sixth is Dallas Goddard. Uh, you mentioned, you know, he's, he's in a great offense and he's uh, definitely this year taking even another kind of step forward, in my opinion, and just uh, really improving his game. And, uh, you know, he's been just that consistent outlet for whoever the quarterback's been there. I think he, even as a number two tight end when he was, you know, there, it was, um, you know, he was still kind of almost out targeting uh, the starting tight end at times Ertz there, you know, because he just was that talented. So definitely uh, got him at six. My number seven is going to be vastly different. My seven through 10, I expect to be a little bit different than yours, but uh, I like that we had the top six kind of uh, in the same line as the, as each other there, just a little bit different order. So seven for me is Kyle Pitts of Atlanta. I just think the guy is a freak athlete. Um, I don't know that he's, uh, a dominating blocker, but I think he does enough in that part of the game. And then, you know, I think he's been kind of hindered by the quarterback play down in Atlanta. Um, and he's flashed some really good skills, really good athleticism, but not consistent enough because of the system, because of some of the other players that are on the team, um, not really helping him out. So I think he's more of a product of the situation that, um, you know, I, I elevated him because of that more than dropping him because of that. Yeah. And he, he's a guy I originally had on my list. Uh, when I first put this together, but when I looked at it a little closer, I, he, to me, he just hasn't um, shown enough yet. He's only been in the league two years, and he, he missed a lot of the, the season this year. But you're right. Quarterback play has been a big detriment to him so far. Uh, my number seven, I've got Pat Farmuth of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think this guy is is just ready to set the league on fire. I think next year we may be talking about him in the top five. Uh, he just seems to make a lot of tough catches. He's a very physical guy, and we know in Pittsburgh they love their tight ends. Uh, so I've got uh, Fryermuth coming at number seven. Yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to watch Fryermuth grow with um, with the young guy there, Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. I think that they're going to kind of develop a relationship, and they you saw that as the season progressed, and Pittsburgh, um, you know, started having a little more success at the end of the season because Pickett came in and started picking things up, and um, you know, but at the end of the year, I think he just got picked off too much, so he just wasn't very good. So he was, he was um, able to pick it up, but he told him they didn't pick it off. <laughs> Yep. So now we're on number eight. So who you got? Uh, just uh, at number eight there. Uh, number eight, even though he's a division rival of mine, I have a lot of respect for this guy. I feel like uh, kind of in the same vein as, as Farmer makes a lot of tough catches. That's Tyler Higby of the LA Rams. Oh, wow. uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he makes a lot of tough catches. He's, he's very reliable on third down. You, you'd think uh, obviously Cooper cups, the number one guy there, but uh, he's uh, once they uh, had traded Robert Woods, um, to the Titans, he was a guy that they went to a lot on third down. So I, I thought that uh, Tyler Higby, I put him at number eight. Very nice. I had him kind of in my honorable mentions here listed, but at eight, I put Fryermuth because I haven't had him yet there. So, um, yeah, so then uh, we, we kind of talked about Fryermuth already, so I'm, I'm going to move on to number nine. Uh, I put number nine, uh, Dalton Schultz from the Cowboys. Uh, just thought that uh, he puts his – you know, he has a game put together – uh, on both, you know, in blocking and uh, receiving enough to where he, uh, you know, just is a is a reliable tight end. I think um, maybe if they wanted to utilize him more, they could. And I'm not sure that they they do utilize him to the fullest. But I just think that uh, you know he's a pretty talented guy and deserves to be in the top ten tight end list. Yeah, he's he's uh, another guy. You know, I think he would have put up bigger numbers this year. He missed some time, and, and obviously Dak missed some time, so maybe he would have put up some bigger numbers this year with, with that. But again, we're we're also looking forward, so I think that's a good pick. Even though I don't have him in my top ten, he's another guy. I had he's probably eleven for me actually. 
Um, my number nine, here you go, Bills Mafia. I've got Dawson Knox, number nine. Um, I think I know, I know that uh, there's a lot of complaints about him dropping balls, and I know there's uh, a lot of things that he doesn't do well, but I think, uh, you know, for a team that passes the ball so much, uh, he's he's a reliable guy to to get open, and he he does you know he he scores some touchdowns for you guys. He makes some big catches. He makes some tough catches. Uh, I, I specifically remember a play where he got flipped upside down right at the goal line uh, late in the year. I'm trying to remember who was in the regular season of the first game of the playoffs. Uh, he he'll make some spectacular plays, and sometimes he does drop the easy ones. But uh, you know I, I think he he deserves to be in the top ten. Yeah, I agree. Um, and. Uh... Joe thinks uh, Mike Gusecki deserves some love here. Dude, he's a Dolphin player. I'm not putting any <laughs> Dolphins players in my top 10 of any list. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But I really uh, struggled here. I think, you know, once you get past, for me, once you get past uh, six, it really becomes tough to try to order these guys in there. And um, so I had Schultz at nine. You had Knox. And then at 10, uh, who do you got there? See, this 10 was – I could have put Schultz there. I could have put Kyle Pitts there. I went with a guy who had a great year this year, uh, kind of a one-year wonder, and that's Evan Ingram of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think uh, they're going to try to resign him. Uh, they do have some cap space. They've talked very openly. They want to resign him, and I think he has a great future uh, with uh, Trevor Lawrence there. He, he really came on, especially the second half of the year. Uh, he, he just by far had his best season this year. Yeah, when I started putting my list together, I think I had him at seven. And then as I th saw more guys, I kind of kept bumping him down, bumping him down. And he ended up at 12 for me. But um, I, at 10, I have Dawson Knox, uh, a lot of the same uh, reasons. I couldn't leave him out of the top 10 being a, a Bills fan. So I he gets the bias pass there, too. And I just I think he has uh, some inconsistencies in catch. He made that wonderful catch. Uh, for a touchdown where he kind of snagged it with one hand in the postseason there. Then yep. he kind of went back and dropped a, a little bit almost easier one. So it's it's a little bit tough. He does get open, though. I mean, gosh, he gets open all the time. And if you watch the film, he's open. And he's not – he's either on the other side of the field and Allen's looking at the left and he's on the right, vice versa, or he's kept in the block because the offensive line's been having trouble. And he does a, a pretty good job at blocking, in my opinion. So I think that – um, you know, Knox is definitely a guy, um, you know, he got a contract uh, from the Bills and, uh, you know, I'm looking for him to really uh, hopefully be utilized. And I think it's one of the things we talk about with Dorsey and things and see if, uh, you know, if he'll be utilized uh, properly uh, going through the uh, the next iteration kind of of this offense. So, yeah, that concludes. Uh, oh, you have to no, you gave 10, right? Yep, that was it. Yeah. All right, so that concludes our top 10. I had Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, Waller, Hawkinson, Goddard, Pitts, Fryermuth, Schultz, and Knox. And your top 10 in order were? I had Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, Goddard, Hawkinson, Waller, Fryermuth, Higby, Knox, and Ingram. Very good. And I think uh, what the last – I think, you know, guys like Cole Komet from Chicago, David Njoku just it hasn't been super consistent, but he's highly talented – and then one guy to watch out for is Isaiah Likely. I really wish the Bills would have drafted this guy. He's the backup tight end for the Ravens. He scored three touchdowns this year and uh, was more of a situational guy, but hell of a talent. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of good uh, young tight ends out in this league. So it'll be interesting to see who emerges as the top 10. So if you haven't done so already, please hit the like, hit the share. 
if you're watching this back on a podcast form, uh, please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're able, uh, sign into YouTube and hit the like and subscribe on the Built-In Buffalo channel. Um, we're going to move on, and uh, I'm going to make this, since we did take up some time um, on the front-end section, I want to uh, move through a little bit quicker, but uh, we're going to move on to the Bills kind of free agent um, update here and kind of m- moving forward. We got a couple key guys, in my mind, that are that are the free agents, and that's uh, Poyer, Edmonds, and then I'm going to put in um, Devin Singletary in that as well. So, I mean, I think that for me, I see it as the most imperative thing to re-sign Tremaine Edmonds. I really like what he does in the middle of the defense because when you run a Tampa 2 defense the way they do, that scheme lends itself so so much to a tall, lengthy guy that can run, um, and Edmonds fits that bill. He's young. He's not made all the splash plays everyone wants him to, but I just think that for the scheme they're trying to run, he does kind of the 111th that, you know, McDermott kind of preaches. And so um, for, for me, I really think Edmonds would be the guy that really needs to be re-signed. Um, would love to have Poyer back because he's such a good guy and he really did um, great things for us, but he is getting older, unfortunately. And so if you just talk about the business side of it, I think that's going to be tough to really give him his worth. And you can't really ask a guy that in that, uh, stage of his career really to take much of a, a discount for you to stay there. Maybe he will if he wants to win um, and and can't get an offer uh, from a, from another contender. Um, but then you have Devin Singletary. Um, he's still pretty young, but I think he's just again he might he might price himself out uh, of of returning to the Bills. You got a guy who you know is making less than a million dollars in a contract this year, and he's going to obviously command five to six million. Um, average salary probably moving forward. So I just don't think that's going to work with the cap situation the Bills are in. So what do you think um, from kind of an outsider's perspective on the Bills free agents and and those key, those key three players kind of um, what you see maybe they should do? Yeah. Very quick on Poyer. I think you got to remember they, they negotiated with him uh, last off season as well. So I'm not sure that they're going to be able to get him at a contract with that, that the team wants uh, based on their cap situation. Um, so I, I think it is more likely they go with Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds. And, I, you know, Edmonds, look, five years in the league, he's had 100-plus tackles every year. I know, like you say, he doesn't make all the splash plays. He's not really uh, great at getting to the passer. But he is pretty good in pass coverage. He does get fooled from time to time. But he does make some plays in the passing game as well. So I think for their system, it, he's the guy that they, they've got to go with. And, yeah, Singletary, I think that's the reason they drafted James Cook. I think they, they knew that Singletary was probably uh, going to be out the door. So I think uh, the most likely of the three uh, to, to remain there is Edmonds. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, we're going to move on to some role players. I'm not going to mention all the role players. We have um, some guys that are going to hopefully come back and, and guys like Jordan Phillips, I see, and um, Shaq Lawson, I really liked. You have Ike, Ike Butker that, that uh, you know, got injured and didn't really get back into the, into the fray uh, with Buffalo. So you don't know what his status is, but um, you know, I think the Bills situation is going to require them to bring back some of these guys uh, that they they like in a certain role, uh, but maybe not. They're either going to have to um, take a cut, and this is a guy like Tyler Matakavich, um, Taiwan Jones, and then uh, Jake Kumaro, those kind of guys. Um, you know, those guys are on the team because they play special teams exceptionally well, and 
with the situation going on now in Buffalo, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that really uh, this team can afford to keep those caliber of players, because I think that Kumaro showed a little bit of success playing the wide receiver position, but he is about to be 31. And I don't, you know, with their need at uh, a, a true number two wide receiver, um, I just don't see keeping a wide receiver that's just good on special teams. I just don't think that's something they're really going to be able to do. And so uh, what are your thoughts on the kind of role players there that are that are going to be free agents this year? Yeah, I think uh, Shaq Lawson had a better season than probably was expected of him coming into the year. You know, he's, he kind of yeah, bounced absolutely. around a little bit. Yep. Yeah, he, he made some big plays for them. And I think uh, you mentioned uh, Bucker and, and David Questenberry is another guy. Both of those guys are – are uh, versatile along the offensive line. They play multiple positions. So I think they, they'd like to try to bring back at least one of them because you could always use uh, an extra offensive lineman that could play all over the place because invariably somebody's going to go down. That just happens uh, all the time in the NFL where you're losing offensive linemen. It's obviously a very physical position. Uh, it's a very physical game. But offensive linemen, uh, you can never have too many. So I think they'd definitely like to keep at least one of those, if not both, if they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, that's going to be an interesting part of the offseason, you know, is to see, uh, you know, what are you going to be able to do with guys that are just serving a specific role? And and they do, um, you know, this Roy is coming in, perfect point here, is just expensive players and a scheme doesn't hold up. I think he's talking about um, Edmonds there. But, you know, that's the same kind of thing, though, is you have expensive players playing uh, a role in, in special teams, which does matter because, you know, we saw the Naheem Hines success in the Miami game, which allowed us to win that game because our offense, you know, we only we only won because we had 14 points then from from the special teams there. So, um, you know, really, really good takes there. I do appreciate that. I want to. uh just move on to this one. This was the one I was kind of uh, excited to get to here is um, we kind of have talked about big ball, you know, big baller being, and he's got this uh, pretty good uh, reputation. And obviously I'm a huge uh, Brandon Bean fan. I wouldn't be here talking about the bills if I wasn't a fan of his, I think. So, um, you know, starting back, they, in the 17th draft, they, they got uh, Tredavious White in the first round, which is obviously a great pick, great development action. Um, Zay Jones, who now is uh, kind of one of those guys that he's working out for for the Jaguars in, in some some situations. It's kind of uh, we kind of laugh about it, but he you know he's filling a role for them and doing doing all right. Um, we got Deion Dawkins in that 17 draft, which was really good. Matt Milano uh, in, the, in round five was absolute steal there. Um, everybody's least favorite guy, Nathan Peterman, <laughs> obviously <laughs> was. Uh, wasn't great. And then uh, Tanner Vallejo. So he, so uh, that draft was, uh, you know, fairly stout. We got a lot of key players early in, you know, early on and in, in being in McDermott's tenure here. And in the 18th draft, we got Allen and Edmonds and Teron Johnson, Saran Neal. Um, one of your favorite guys, Ray Ray McLeod in the sixth round in 2018. So, uh, but we also have guys like Harrison Phillips, um, Teron Johnson and and those guys. So Harrison Phillips obviously isn't with us anymore. Teron Johnson's been been a great slot corner. Saran Neal not not uh, panning out too much other than special teams. And then Wyatt Teller, you know, he uh, 
ended up being pretty good and he's down and now he's in now he's in Cleveland and not with the with the squad anymore. So they've they've had to make some tough decisions with some of those guys from the 17 and 18 class. But from the 17 and 18 class, you know, I think they hit pretty well on on a lot of value picks. You know, you're talking about a lot of guys in the fourth and fifth rounds and and things. They obviously went up to get their guys with Allen Edmonds and and Trey White in the first round. And but then they really got value talking about like Milano and, and those kind of guys, Trey, uh, Teron Johnson in the fourth. So uh, what's your kind of assessment early on of, of the the Bean McDermott regime? Yeah, I think under this regime, what's been very clear is that when they target a player, they go and get that player. I think they have they had when they first got there, they had specific types of players they're looking for and, and that's that's what they did they wanted to make the team more physical they wanted to build a strong defense uh, and that's what they what they were doing with those early picks and uh you know some some of the picks um even more recently i, I think they did a good job i think gregory russo is a guy who, who looks like he's going to be uh coming on he doubled his sack total from year one to year two um you know went, went from four to eight he's still a very very young player he's, he's just going to be 23 uh in april uh, so, you know, he was, he was very, very young when he came in. I think that was a great pick. You know, they're, they're waiting on, on Basham to, to maybe turn into something. He was a second round pick, a late second round pick, uh, but they're waiting for him to, to do something. Only four and a half sacks in two seasons, only 37 total tackles. Uh, so, so they, they need a little bit more out of him. And, and the, the last one I'll say is uh, very interesting what happened with Kyrie Elam this year. Um, you know, at one point, Christian Benford was playing ahead of him. So yeah. and, and Benford was a, a late round pick, and, and Elam obviously a first rounder. So um, may, maybe uh, get a little bit more out of him as he continues to progress. Yeah, and Roy, that's right. Uh, McDermott's first year, um, you know, whether it was Whaley or whomever, it was kind of the McDermott start of the regime. And I think that uh, Trey White is more associated with the McDermott and and Bean regime. And I and I get it whether uh, Bean actually drafted him, but it's kind of the similar. Um, you know, approach in that year. So in 19, we got Oliver, Cody Ford, Singletary, Knox, Voshan Joseph, who I, I always loved, Jaquan Johnson, Daryl Johnson, who hung around at the, you know, practice squad level and filled some some depth roles. And then Tommy Sweeney, who's been hanging around kind of at the tight end uh, roles. Um, in 2020, we got Epinesa, Zach Moss, Gabe Davis, Jake Fromm, Tyler Bass, who's been great, Hodgins, Isaiah Hodgins and Dane Jackson. So um, in those two drafts, uh, a lot of guys that are, are currently depth guys. We got Ed Oliver, again, a first round pick that we, that we got, and he's been decent, but I mean, he was pick nine. It's not, uh, not necessarily uh, lighting the world on fire there in the middle. And, and we've had some, some size issues, I think in the middle. And then that's kind of, uh, disrupted our run defense and that kind of success. So I don't know uh, how to really grade the 19 into 20 season because we got really AJ Epinesa has been okay for a round two pick, but not, it's just kind of a role player. Gabe Davis, um, who, you know, one of my favorite guys on the team, cause I've met him and he's just a good guy is uh, you know, had a tough year. We were hoping coming up to be a uh, wide receiver too. And, and, you know, he almost did get a thousand yards. And I think that would, uh, you know, getting a number two to having a thousand yards is, is not a bad thing, but I think there were some inconsistencies and things that led to maybe not being able to really show that the number two uh, position and, and, and grasp a hold of that. And then everybody's kind of 
you know, you have the Zach Mosses. Isaiah Hodgins went to the Giants and kind of succeeded. Zach Moss has gone to India, and he's not really having a ton of success, so people don't mind. Cody Ford, a round two pick that's now uh, not with the team with Arizona. Um, when we're about to basically probably get rid of Devin Singletary from, from the 19 class. So um, you're starting to see a little bit of frustration, I think, from Bill's Mafia and stuff through those classes. And then into 21, like you were saying, you had Rousseau, um, who, you know, was a, a good pick. I just, you know, then you follow that up with the next round and, and talking about, um, <laughs> and then uh, Roy saying, so, you know, Peterman and Fromm, you know, two guys they kind of drafted and they didn't, they gave up on Fromm pretty quickly. And I don't know what the story was with that, but I think he had some, some other issues anyway, that um, would have prevented him from, from being much. And so the 21 classes, Rousseau, Basham, Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle, uh, Marquez Stevenson, DeMar Hamlin, Rashad Wild Goose, and Jack Anderson. So, I mean, really, you have Stevens, Marquez Stevenson in a late round, and they, they keep with these late round receivers, you know, and they're never, they're, they're coming up and they're hitting on uh, a quarterback, which was great. Um, you know, Tremaine Edmonds in the first, uh, Trey White in the first round. So they, it looks like they can come up in the first round, they get Rousseau, and then um, this year getting Kyir Elam, as you said. So this year was Elam, Cook, Bernard, Khalil Shakir, Matt Ariza, Christian Benford, uh, Luke Tenuta, and Phelan Spector. Um, just for, from my perspective, it's just kind of we're not seeing anything from these guys. Wild Goose isn't with the team anymore. Um, you know, DeMar Hamlin had that unfortunate thing, and I think he was kind of coming on, um, and it's just going to be interesting to see if he ever plays football again. Um, if he could make that full recovery, that'd be great, obviously. Um, but you're not getting much out of Spencer Brown now, a round three pick that – you know, we had high hopes to take over that right tackle position this this year, and it kind of just didn't happen. And then, you know, with these rookies this year, you have guys like Benford playing over Elam, uh, just kind of a head scratchers. James Cook took a while to kind of get integrated in the offense and really be able to be utilized. And I think towards the end of the season, he proved what he needed to prove to to the to the mafia at least, and and know that he's um, going to be a decent player. Uh, in a lot of our opinions, and I don't know how James Cook looks to an outsider, but uh, I'll get to that in one second. Terrell Bernard in the third is just almost a wasted pick. I mean, he had so many other weapons there that were drafted after Terrell Bernard, and um, just it's a shame to see uh, because he doesn't seem like he's really going to see the field much. Uh, they were playing Terrell Dodson uh, over Bernard, and then they bring in A.J. Klein to play when, when they had injuries. So they didn't really even go to their depth there and their draft picks. And, and those kind of guys. And then obviously, unfortunate situation with Matt Ariza um, gets him cut. So so really kind of tumultuous last few years drafting. We don't really have uh, any one guy. And, you know, since really 2019, you have, you know, Ed Oliver there. But, um, you know, no first round pick in 2020. And, and then, um, you know, you have Rousseau and Elam who kind of are still uh, – waiting to kind of make their make their mark on the on the league yeah a lot a lot of quick things there because you touched on a lot of good stuff uh with that at oliver um when he was coming out of houston there was talk he was gonna be the number one overall pick at, at mm -hmm. time and then yeah. you know he didn't test as well as people thought he might at the combine you know how that works so uh yeah. people thought he was gonna be a star um and you know i think the fact that when Buffalo went out to sign Von Miller was kind of an indication of some of these guys like Epinesa and, and Basham and, and Russo hadn't turned into what they thought right away. Uh, so they, they felt like they needed to go get a, a Von Miller. 
Uh, and and exactly kind of I, I agree 100 percent what you said. Like who's who's the last star that they drafted? Who's who's the last like you know top of the line player? Like oh this is a can't miss guy that they've drafted. It's been several years now. Yeah, Josh Allen basically. Right, exactly. Is the is the last one and you know, the only one really you know is to reach that level. And um, so yeah, it's uh, one of those things to watch. We got a real big draft coming up this year. Obviously, we'll get into more draft coverage as the uh, off season progresses. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited for for to see go through this draft pick season and 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 see what uh, what we get out of it because it's going to really set up the the team for for being for moving forward and this franchise is either going to um, be better off because of it or you know could see a slump uh, because of it so um, hoping it's not the latter uh, this is the one I'm interested to get to you first because uh, you were saying you had some some good takes on it and I want to see so I, I don't know we we talked just about that that star that sec you know outside of digs and outside of Allen who you know, we did draft Allen, but, you know, Diggs was brought in from Minnesota. Uh, Von Miller brought in. Um, so so who – and we brought in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. And those, so so right. is, do we have a player on our roster currently, from your perspective, that could be a legitimate star in this league? Or do you think if we want, um, you know, that kind of that kind of guy to, to complement, um, you know, the Diggs and Allen tandem or, or the Miller – and Edmonds, if he stays, you know, Ed, and really Miller and Milano that are on the roster right now, um, you know, is there someone currently on the roster you can see kind of making a splash and, and really um, having a having a really uh, top end career? I'll tell you, I don't know if he's going to be top. I don't want to go that far, but I'll tell you a guy who really, really impressed me towards the end of the season. That was Khalil Shakir. I think, you know, he, he started taking snaps away from Isaiah McKenzie, even some snaps away from Gabe Davis. I, I think, you know, he, you were talking earlier about maybe uh, coming up with a number two receiver. Maybe this guy can be it. I, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a, a full-time outside guy. He could be a, a slot guy. He could be a kind of a mixture guy. That's that's very popular now in the NFL, especially Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. He's really popularized that. He was a guy that uh, kind of fell in the draft a little bit because, they weren't sure what he would do. Uh, obviously, he was still a first-round pick. Shakir was, was much later. But I, I think he's definitely got the potential to at least step up. I think he's he's got uh, great speed. I, I like his body. I like his his uh, fluid motions in and out of his cuts. So I think he's the guy that could really help the team moving forward. You would like his body. Um, Khalil Shakir is an excellent pick. I think uh, he's got the most uh, – he's got the most potential and like really the highest ceiling. I, I think that's a great insight because you saw the way he ran routes um, fairly precisely. I think he really is able to learn from Stefan Diggs and that's really helping, you know, his early career and development. Yeah. And, and I think the fluidity of with Khalil Shakir coming out of his routes. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is, I think we, we know this, that Shakir's hips don't lie. So, you know, that's right. Not a babe. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think uh, you couldn't ask for a better guy to learn from in route running, obviously, than Stefan Diggs. I think he's one of the most technical route runners in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I think that he's got, you know, one of the best shots. Um, I do actually like a guy like Gregory Russo. I think you touched on it. He's shown and um, he's just got to get more consistent. He is actually fairly decent in the run game. He does actually stop. He helps that defensive line stop the run. And, you know, without having um, really big guys in the middle, they, they tend to go, uh, they did get Daquan Jones, which is a really good, um, 
uh, pick and and settle is okay but he's kind of shorter so he's not necessarily a big massive guy in the middle but uh, I think Rousseau really helps solidify um, the end position I think I like the way he can break down and contain and go after some guys so um, you know not the uh, you know double digit sack guy yet but I think he's going to get there and I think um, you know after Von Miller uh, going to going to Von Miller U for a couple of years here in Buffalo. He's going to, uh, Rousseau's going to end up, uh, really being something, uh, something special to watch here for, for years to come. That's funny you said it because I believe Rousseau played at the U, right? Yeah, he did. Absolutely. But he's, yeah, he, he, you, you hear about in the NBA a lot. You talk about wingspan. That guy, you know, you don't hear about in the NFL, but that guy, man, could you imagine a running back coming at him? He feels like he's just going to pluck you from like, you know, the middle of the line and you're going to come to the edge and he's just going to grab you because his arms are so long. He's a big boy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw a tweet from our uh, founder, Dave Myers, and I think to talk about some legitimate offseason expectations here for Buffalo with the cap constraints that we have, I think that um, you can um, not expect really to have a big, uh, big splash signing and those kind of things. I think what Dave was saying in his tweet was, you know, we're going to pick up these role players and and keep going with, you know, these guys that can fill out a roster and not obviously have a, a giant salary. And that's stating the obvious, but you know, it's, it's really that we've got guys that have been in this kind of scheme and, and that we've kept around and have been filling the roles that we needed, um, and they're going to have to be more versatile. I think they're going to have to play special teams, but also be able to play their position on the team. So if you're a tight end or you're a defensive back and you're playing special teams, you know, you're also going to have to be able to play uh, that position, uh, you know, on the offense or defense. So um, (laughs) Roy says he's keeping his expectations lower. So from an outsider, I mean, I don't, I haven't got my hands around yet necessarily all the things they, that the bills can do with salaries and, and, the, and get reducing the cap hit. We all know um, that the bills can get a lot of salary cut by, um, by restructuring at least Josh Allen's deal. Um, but you know, that they're in the two forty million million range without re-signing any free agents, according to Brandon Bean's press conference. So doing that, and relieving 21 million basically gets you at the cap. So right. then you still have to get all that under to get all these other players. You know, you don't have that many guys on the roster right now um, that are NFL caliber. You got a lot of some of the reserve future contracts given out. Um, and according to Spot Track right now, they're at 246 million uh, players with cap hits um, next year. And that's without, you know, and that's 52 guys. They got to get to 90. Right. Um, so, so it's, uh, it's going to need, uh, and, and that's exactly right. You know, it's, it's tough because like Joe says here, it, these, there's position groups because of the lack of, um, production from some of these draft picks that we've seen, right. That now these position groups are weaknesses and it's a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, um, you know, these guys have, uh, gone out and and done their thing. They've addressed needs through free agency, and it's going to be tough to address every need through free agency this year, um, like they've been able to do in the past because they just have so much less flexibility. Um, so, w- what is your uh, kind of off-season perspective from 
from uh, from your point of view on what the Bills might do. Yeah, two two things. One, uh, you talk about the cap, and that's not even in, including trying to sign the rookie class either. Whoever they draft, they're going to have to get those contracts under the cap as well. So, um, you know, you got to be very very careful with with what they like to say in the NFL is kicking the can down the line. Um, you can do it with with some contracts, but you don't want to overdo it. Look at the situation that the the Rams are in right now. Had to cut cut a lot of players. Um, they kind of became weak in some some positions, just like you're saying with Buffalo. They lacked a lot of depth on the offensive and de- defensive line at the linebacker position. Uh, they weren't really able to sign a backup quarterback. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are heading in that situation right now because uh, they had to overpay players. So I think the Bills are going to have to um, pick and choose which contracts they can uh, kind of renegotiate and, and push the money down the line. And, you know, the salary cap typically goes up pretty big every year. The only year it didn't uh, was because of the pandemic. And that kind of set some teams back because they had to release some players they weren't expecting to in that situation because teams didn't necessarily make a lot of money. Uh, and, and not, well, relatively speaking, they didn't make a lot of money compared to what they were expecting. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, there were no fans, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, I think, I think they're definitely going to have to look at Josh's contract. He's obviously going to be a guy that's going to be there for a long time, so you don't have to worry about ever having a dead cap hit and releasing them down the line. A lot of their guys at the top, you know, uh, uh, Allen, Diggs, those guys like that, the top 10 or 12 guys, uh, they are salary cap hits. I don't think they're guys that are going to be leaving the team in the next couple of years. So I think there, there is an opportunity there uh, for the Bills to, to renegotiate some of these contracts and, and help the team get better and, and look – they're not far off. As an outsider, you ask me as an outsider, they're not far off. They, they're, you look at the, the Bills as one of the scariest teams in the league. You you know any team that's got Josh Allen at quarterback and Stephon Diggs at wide receiver and some of the other playmakers they have on offense and defense, they're going to be a dangerous team. So, yes, they do need some players to fill in the gaps, and and obviously if they get hit on a player in a draft would be great. Uh, but I, I definitely think that this is a team that uh, is going to be in the mix every every year for the next several years. Yeah, and I think they are bitten a lot by injuries this year. I think they had a hell of a year with injuries, and even the guys that were playing, I don't think we're playing at 100%. I think, you know, some of the guys, like, as much flack as I give a guy like, um, you know, Roger Saffold, I, I hate to think that he goes from Pro Bowl or just being that bad, but he was. I mean, he was rated super low, and he just didn't look great. And I don't know if he had something early on that nagged through the season and just limited him. You don't really know those things, I guess, but – um, it's one of those things to be interesting to see, like when, if these guys come back, who they bring in back and, and, um, and what kind of production can they get out of these guys? Because they're going to need it for sure. And especially with the draft picks now, um, they're going to be, their production is going to be more important than ever. And, uh, you know, sure. you got guys in the top that, you know, one of the things is Von Miller comes in now he's an $18 million cap hit, right. You know, and because your guys that you drafted didn't hit you know, you've got, you know, those guys sitting there and they're not much. I mean, Epinesa, a million, 1.8, uh, Basham, 1.5 and that kind of thing. So it's not terrible, but the matter of fact is like, it's still 18 million. You would have had to not use if any of those guys had been decent, you know, right yet, because it's still second or third year, you still would have been able to keep them on their rookie deal. So you got it for me. I said it on um, Twitter earlier. And you can follow me at Mafia Montage. Um, Ed Oliver's a guy making 10.7 this year. Um, if if they're not, if he's not in their long-term plans, or if they deem that that salary um, isn't going to be able to 
uh, fit in this thing. I could see, uh, you know, something happening with him. The other name that is very interesting is Mitch Morse because he's been a very good center, but he's gotten a concussion every year for like the last six years, it seems. Right. And so it's just scary. And I, you hate to, you know, uh, you wish that he can come back and play because he's a very, you know, instrumental part of this offensive line, but you just wonder what, his physical health, you know, is going to allow him to do from a longevity standpoint. So very interesting guys at the top. Um, I'm not suggesting they trade Tredavious White by any means, but he's a guy that, uh, you know, you could get maybe a good return on. And if you're looking to get multiple players back that are young and can fill some roster holes, you may have to think about doing that kind of thing where you got a guy coming off an ACL. And if you got a team that really would be interested in him, and willing to pay you a couple draft picks for him and one being a first rounder potentially, you know, I think that you got to really look at that and see if that might set you up uh, better in the future than, than holding on to him for a guy that's just more sentimental value. Yeah. You hit the nail right on the head with the, the you know, you talk about having to, to bring in Von Miller to uh, play a position of guys that you drafted and and that is money that could have been spent somewhere else that could have been spent in the offensive line that could have been spent on, you know, maybe they would have been able to to fit Christian McCaffrey under the, the, the salary cap, right. whether, whether it became whatever, you know, that, that obviously would have been an issue along with the draft picks or whatever. But the, it's just these draft picks are going to have to hit, and, and some of these guys that they have drafted are going to have to start playing a little bit better. Yeah, 100%. All right, so if you haven't done so already at this point in the show, please like, share, subscribe to our YouTube, uh, retweet on Twitter, uh, share it on Facebook, like it on Facebook, follow us on all platforms. Uh, Built in Buffalo, one of the best premier platforms for Bill's content on the web. And uh, you get to see my face every Saturday at 7 p.m. I wasn't going to do this, but I think I want to. I'm going to go with a score prediction for the Super Bowl here. And uh, if you want to give one, please do. In the comments, please uh, reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking for a score on the Super Bowl. And uh, did you have one ready for uh, for the Super Bowl, or are you still uh, deciding on your score? I mean, I have one ready with, with the right to change it, I guess, as they get closer with Absolutely. more information. But uh, right now, um, you know, I, I, I sort of lean towards the Eagles. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I could see maybe both teams hitting the 30s. Uh, but I'm going to go with 31-27 Eagles. That's my prediction as of today, right now, with the right to reserve and change it. Yeah, I think you're really close. Just for the sake of not picking the same numbers as you, um, I was going to go 31-28, but I want to say 35-31 Eagles. Um, And I I think that – I do think that maybe Mahomes uh, having a high ankle could uh, play a role if he tweaks it at any point during the game, but – Joseph says 14 to seven. That would be uh, in the first quarter. (laughs) In the first quarter. Yeah. Um, So Pete's coming in. He, he came in late. He doesn't, uh, you missed a whole show. It's like an hour and 15 minutes already has gone by. So I appreciate you stopping by here, Pete. And uh, uh, really cool. So uh, that's our score predictions. I had 35, 31. John has 31, 27. I think we're right in the ballpark there of what I, what I want to see. So the next segment I'm going to do um, for my guy, he's not here now uh, this show, but he'll be back and I'm going to get into uh, 
a segment he likes to call. All right, this is the mafia montage version of getting saucy. And uh, this week, we got to talk about all the guys that are going to be dick riding the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes throughout the playoffs and all year. And this is why I predict the Eagles to win, because I don't want to hear it anymore that Mahomes is some sort of miraculous hero because he limped out there and played on the ankle and all that stuff. I mean, Josh Allen's been playing a whole year with a UCL injury and an elbow injury that cost him caused him to change his mechanics and then uh, ultimately caused him to lose some accuracy, which we saw uh, him miss wide open digs and those kind of throws that typically he was going to always, uh, you know, hit when it, when, when he's healthy. So, uh, you know, I want to see the Eagles go in there, dominate the chiefs and kind of put that to bed. Uh, really don't want to see um, uh, the chiefs win another one. And uh, that's this week's segment for getting saucy. Um, I am Mafia Montage, and he is John Brockway III. Please follow me on Twitter, at Mafia Montage. This is the sit-down live on Built-In Buffalo Network, brought to you by Duff's Famous Wings. And we are also sponsored by, at Built-In Buffalo, West Her, Ticket IQ, Picasso's Pizza. We are here live Saturdays, 7 p.m. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. Do you have any last words? Uh, just a pleasure to be here and, uh, you know, hope everyone uh, likes and subscribes, like you said, and, and uh, you know, rooting for uh, a good game in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's all we can really ask for is, uh, is a good game. So go Bills and Bills Mafia. Till next time. We'll see you.